Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Amen. Hey, let's thank this worship team for leading us today. Thank you guys so much. Hey, welcome today. So glad that you're here. You can have a seat and uh, just excited to be with you in this place. This is a big Sunday for us. This is Rescue Sunday, and this is a week that we've been anticipating, and yet um, I've been hearing the reports around that um, our COVID numbers are up and hearing from families that uh, there's possible exposures and what a crazy time that we're in, but I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, we have a special guest with us. His name is Gary McIntosh. He's the Director of Development at Operation Underground Railroad, which is a fantastic organization. You're going to hear more about them later. Uh, but before I bring Gary up, I want us to take a moment and look at the second site that we're going to look at together of the real story of Christmas. Now, this is a season that's filled with merriness and festivities and joy and warm, fuzzy feelings and all the happy stuff that comes with Christmas. We have kids that have been asking for you know, certain things this year and they're excited and there's kind of you know, this general happiness that comes with Christmas. However, there is a dark side of the Christmas story. It's, it's a part of the story that we don't talk about a whole lot when we tell the story of Jesus. And we're going to look at that part of the story today. I also want to let you parents know that later in the service, we are going to have uh, Gary talk a little bit about trafficking. And we're going to do our best to be very wise with our words because we have lots of different types of ears in the room. Some of them are little ears, and so we're going to be very careful, but I just want to let you know that at the end of the service, we're, we're going to talk about that. But today, um, the message that I want to uh, bring to you is entitled, The Rescued Child. The Rescued Child. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. If you have a copy of scriptures, maybe an app on your phone that you like to read scripture on, we're going to go there in just a minute. And if you want to start turning to Matthew chapter 2, go with me there. But there's been a famous child that was rescued. You see his likeness everywhere. Like everywhere you go, you see his likeness these days. His story is filled with promise, but it's also filled with trouble. The child is young and dependent, and yet the child is also powerful. I mean, really powerful. And what child could I be describing what child are you thinking of when I describe that? Could it be this child right here? Is that, is that what you're thinking of, right? Some of you, yeah, 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 you thought of that as I was making that description. You're like, he's talking about baby Yoda, right? Baby Yoda. 
And uh, if you don't know, if you've been living under a stone or you don't have young children, you're like, what is that? Okay, let me explain that to you. This is from uh, The Mandalorian, which is a hit show on Disney+. And it's kind of like a spinoff of Star Wars. And the, this little child, this little baby Yoda that we like to call him, what's his real name? Who knows? Grogu, thank you. We have some Mandalorian nerds in the room. You know the real name of Baby Yoda. It's Grogu, okay? So Grogu is a, uh, he's, he's got a bounty on his head. And the Mandalorian is the guy with the cool armor. He is a bounty hunter, okay? So what he's got to do is to earn a living. He's got to go find these bounties. And so he gets the, uh, the tag or whatever for this particular target. And when he sees the child and he realizes like harmless little creature, like who would want the bounty of this thing? So he, he takes the child to the people that are seeking it. And then he realizes these people mean him harm. And so he changes his mind at the last minute. And it's like a shoot 'em up scene. And he rescues the child and they live on the run. It's a powerful story. Did you know that the Christmas story is actually a lot like that? That there was a rescue that took place when it came to the birth of Jesus. It's the second site that I want us to look at today. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, if you have a copy of Scripture, if you want to read this with me. It says, after they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. You know Joseph, he's the father of Jesus in a dream saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. It's a sad part of the Christmas story. A, a shadow cast over a season that's filled with joy and merriness and happiness and good feelings. And yet, I want us today to consider, I want to challenge you to consider the meaning of the rescued child. Like, what does that mean for us as people who, who look back in time and study this word? What does it mean for us that our Savior was rescued? The, the scholars think that perhaps there were maybe 10 to 30 boys in Bethlehem of, that would fit that age and description. Others think there could have been hundreds in that surrounding area that fit that description, And I want us to just kind of go there for a moment. I know it's, it's a dark spot in the story. 
But the first thing that I want you to consider is that the rescued child reveals the clash of kingdoms. The rescued Jesus reveals to us the clash of kingdoms. I don't want you to miss that the birth of Jesus is so significant. I mean, spiritually, this was, this was like earth-shattering moment. It, it may seem like, you know, something small, like off in a, a village out in the countryside somewhere to uh, a, a nondescript mother and father. And yet this was massive because this was God's in-breaking kingdom. Jesus would go on to say in Matthew chapter 12, now is the judgment of, the, of this world. The ruler of this world, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who's he talking about? The ruler of this world. He's not talking about God the Father, the sovereign ruler of all. He's talking about the evil one, Satan, the devil. And this, this story, this moment where we see this murderous backlash against the birth of Jesus reveals to us the, the clash of kingdoms. God's inbreaking kingdom of light. And I think that for us, where we live day to day, I, I think that we often live as though life is this big neutral space where we do all of our living. This is where we do all of our living here. And it's just, it's not so much moral. It's not so much good or bad or, or God or devil or religion or whatever. Like this is just kind of neutral. And then God and evil and all that stuff are out here on the peripheral somewhere. But it doesn't really impact this, this day-to-day -day neutral world that we live in. And I just want to tell you that, that when, you, when you read the scripture, when, when you read Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 saying, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's spiritual. When Peter, in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he's telling all these believers that have been scattered because of persecution that's come on the church, and he says, look, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as though something strange or unusual are happening to you. Don't be surprised because this is a world that is still contested. It's a world at battle. It's a world at war. There's a clashing of kingdoms, and the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus will return in victory, but we're living in a moment, just as when Jesus was born, where there's a clashing of kingdoms. And so Herod He's, he's a king who's desperate. He's worried about his, his kingdom crumbling or his, his reign ending. He, he's heard the prophecies about the king of the Jews. And so he gets angry when he realizes the wise men didn't come back to him like he told them to. And he commands this murderous command. It's a clash of kingdoms. The second thing that I think we need to understand from this rescue child is that this rescue child is our capital R rescuer. The rescue child is our capital R rescuer. And when you're living in the midst of a world at war, you need to know that. Some of you, you have thoughts that come into your mind. It's like every other second, 
It's like it's right there and you're battling it. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's uh, fear. Maybe there's just like something that's always coming at you. You're comparing. You're, you're always struggling with this thing. And you're like, why is that? Right? I'm, I believe in Jesus now. Shouldn't that all be fixed? I just want you to know you're living in a contested world and there's not this big neutral space. It's like all of the spaces of our lives are contested. There's a scene in, Man- in The Mandalorian season one, episode two, where uh, the Mandalorian is fighting this big nasty beast that comes out of this old cave and he's got to fight this thing to fulfill some kind of mission. I don't know. And Baby Yoda's just floating in the little orb. Have y'all seen the little orb that he floats in, right? I think it was in the picture. He just kind of floats. I was like, man, that's really cool. Like, I want a floating orb. If, if, if Elon Musk could come up with that, like, how cool would that be, right? We're just going to float around. And so the Baby Yoda, and he's just like chilling, watching. And the Mandalorian is getting his bottom whooped, okay? This thing is tearing him up and tossing him around. And it's like he's about to get... Uh, extinguished, let's just say, by this beast. And there's this final moment where he hits his knees and he pulls out a dagger and he holds it up. And it's like, this is all I got. He's just going to hold it out there. And just at that moment, the little green baby Yoda closes his eyes. He gets his little green hands and he holds them out like this. And he starts using the force. And all of a sudden, that little beast gets picked up and it can't get traction and he slams it down with the force and the Mandalorian's able to defeat the beast. Powerful moment. Life-changing moment. (laughs) I was thinking that maybe some of us, if we're real honest, life is a little bit like that. It's like you're, you're fighting this thing, whatever that is for you, whatever that struggle is, whatever that mental thing is, that spiritual or emotional baggage. You're fighting this thing and you feel like it's just about to do me in. And you need to hear that the rescued child is our capital R, rescuer. In verse 15, Matthew, he's trying to connect the dots for us. And he's talking about Jesus. And he says he stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled out of Egypt. I called my son. Now, Matthew, in his gospel, he wants the reader to understand how the life of Jesus mirrors Israel's life, their story, their history. And so he's trying to connect the dots. He's like, look, Egypt. Now, what does Egypt represent for the people of Israel? Do you know? You you probably know the story, right? Pharaoh and the, the plagues and Moses. Israel represents to them slavery, hardship, struggle, mistreatment, captivity. Israel is a significant symbol in their mind. When they hear Egypt, they're like, oh, oh, it's terrible. Matthew wants them to see that this child, 
just like Israel, was exiled into the place that represented their, their hardship, their struggle, their captivity, their slavery. And yet he emerges. The child that seems helpless emerges powerful as the capital, our rescuer. I'm just going to guess that you might have some Egypt in your story. If you look back over your life, you have some Egypt. (laughs) If you don't think you have some Egypt, I'm going to tell you, you do have some Egypt. And and the only reason I can tell you that is because the Bible says that about you. The, The chorus of the New Testament tells us that we were slaves to sin, that we were enslaved to our, our sinful nature, that like even if we wanted to stop, we couldn't. It tells us that we, were, that we were enslaved to religion and to the law, that there was this written code that stood against us, and it was like condemnation on us. And there's nothing we could do. We couldn't get out from under it. The New Testament also tells us that we were enslaved by the evil one, that we were under his domain, his control. So whether or not you feel like you have some Egypt in your story, I'm just telling you, you have some Egypt in your story. And this toddler Jesus, exiled to the land of our captivity, hidden in this land of slavery, emerges as our rescuer. The true Moses who can say, let my people go. The rescue child is our rescuer. The third thing, last thing I want you to understand is that the rescued child reveals God's heart for children. Something I learned this week as I was studying this portion of the story, I, um, I, I learned it from a, an article I found. There was a doctor, he was also a professor, his name is Paul Offit, and he was writing a book on faith and medicine, and the book was entitled Bad Faith. Because what he had found is that he was treating children and the parents were opting for prayer instead of medical care. And he was seeing kids suffer. And he's like, hey, we could fix that. Like, it's very simple. And so he, he expected to write this book that would kind of echo all, what all the new atheists were saying. And he expected to denounce the impact of Christianity on healthcare. But as he researched the history of pediatric medicine, it led him to precisely the opposite conclusion. Here's a quote. I think I have it on the screen for you. He wrote this. Independent of whether you believe in the existence of God, you have to be impressed with the man described as Jesus of Nazareth. At the time of Jesus' life, around 4 BC to 30 AD, child abuse, as noted by one historian, was the crying vice of the Roman Empire, meaning it was rampant. Infanticide was common. Abandonment was common. Children were property. No different than slaves. But Jesus stood up for children, cared about them, when those around him typically didn't. Offit now calls Christianity the single greatest breakthrough against child abuse in history. What he's saying is that when we read this dark part of the story, 
where an order goes out that all these little boys would be murdered. He's saying, look, that wasn't that shocking back then. It shocks us right now. And the only reason it shocks us now, and it didn't shock them then, is there's one word, is that Jesus, Jesus did something that changed the course of human history and civilization. Matthew, who wrote the story that we're reading today, he he made sure to include some details for us about Jesus. In Matthew chapter 18, he tells about Jesus bringing a child, a small child, into the midst of his disciples. And Jesus says, unless you turn and become like this little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. Now, let me tell you, that was absolutely scandalous. This child that was kind of like expendable, it's property, it's like, what? It's like, no, 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 you need to become like this child, The next chapter, Matthew chapter 19, Jesus brings the children, um, or people are bringing children to Jesus to have him lay his hands on them and to bless them. And the disciples are like, oh, come on, like, don't waste our time. Like, get these kids out of here. And Jesus rebukes his disciples. He says, leave the little children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. See, the ones that the world was casting off, saying, don't, don't burden us with that, like they're, they're expendable. Jesus communicates extreme care. He reveals God's heart for children. God's love for kids. God values children. Jesus holds up the children as examples to jaded, skeptical adults and says, you need to become like them. God delights in kids, whether they be eight weeks in the womb, eight years old, or almost 18. Our God cares about kids, and this is the moment where I really want us to kind of segue, and I'm gonna have Gary come in just a second, not quite yet, but before I do that, I just thought it would be good for us to pray together, and the one thing I want us to do is to pray for our kiddos. In fact, um, if you have children, uh, we're gonna pray over your children right now. If they're with you in the room, awesome. If they're not with you, oh, I think you lost me. Are you there? Okay. If they're not with you in the room, you can just hold them in your heart and mind. But I just want to take a moment and to pray for our kiddos. And if you are holding them, awesome. If you want to lay a hand on them, you can. If uh, if you don't have kiddos, why don't you just join me in praying for these kiddos right now? Let's pray for these children right now. All right. Father, we thank you for your delight and care for our children. Father, I thank you for my kiddos who aren't in the room today. Lord, I wanna pray over all these kids. God, we ask your incredible blessing upon them. Father, we thank you that you said the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Lord, we pray that these children would know your deep love. Lord, that they would have extraordinary faith. 
Lord, that they would lead the way for us skeptical adults at moments where we forget how good and how amazing you are. Lord, I pray that you bless our kids. Lord, we know that we live in a world at war, and so we want to ask a hedge of protection over our children. God, we pray for their hearts, their minds, their eyes, their ears. Lord, we ask that you would filter what goes into their little lives right now, Lord, that you would protect them. We commit them to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, second people I want us to pray for are parents. Okay, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, I want to pray for you. Because God has entrusted something special to you. Children are a blessing from the Lord, right? It may not always feel that way. But the Bible says this, so we have to believe it's true. So, that, you know, no, I'm just kidding. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And yet, that feels overwhelming for us parents a lot of times if we're honest. And I just want you to know that you have a capital H helper in the Holy Spirit that fills you. And he actually wants to help you parent and grandparent your, your children. So I want to pray for you right now. Why don't you pray with me together right now? Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for the gift of our kids. Lord, thank you for bringing them to us. Lord, I do want to be mindful right now for any here that have been wanting children but haven't been able to have them. Lord, I just want to pray for their hearts. And God, that you would meet their every need and desire and that you would, you would just bless them in the midst of this, this uh, struggle. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of our children. Lord, we want to ask that you would give us help by your Holy Spirit to parent and to grandparent. Lord, we ask that you would give us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But we ask that you would use us to, to point our children towards the, the ways of God and towards following Jesus. We ask that you would grace us, Lord, when we fail. And Lord, we, we thank you for the gift of our children. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Okay. So... Can we bring up my good friend, Gary? Can y'all just give him a round of applause as he comes up today? <laughs> Gary, can you tell us just a little bit about you first, sure. like your family and who you yeah. are? Cool. Uh, thanks, Chris. Uh, my name is Gary McIntosh. Uh, I'm the director of development at, recently at Operation Underground Railroad. I was born in Houston. I grew up in Clear Lake uh, on the southeast side. My wife is from Houston mostly as well, uh, growing up in the Cinco Ranch area. So we have our three kids here. Uh, we have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old. And we actually travel uh, full-time. We, we're on the road uh, full-time with Operation Underground Railroad. Uh, we've been up through the Midwest this year, up to Maine, down the East Coast, et cetera. And my role is to kind of, you know, work on uh, following up with, with some of the donors that we do have, but also develop strategic relationships, corporate relationships, um, and really just raise awareness about our, our cause and our mission. So I think we've known each other for about 10 years. Yeah. Um, I don't have a gift for you. I'm sorry. It's our, oh. it's our 10-year anniversary, but I didn't bring Ten-year anniversary. <laughs> our friend-aversary. Friend-aversary, yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, so uh, I just want to mention one thing just so... Um, 
you guys understand the realm of possibility here, but I was speaking at a church uh, a few weeks ago and somehow my youngest had stripped down to his diaper and ran down the center aisle uh, and I just <laughs> held him for, for the rest of the talk. So that could happen. I just wanted to, uh, to cool. make that known, but yeah, totally it's, cool. uh, it's awesome being on mission with, uh, with family. And so that's, that's what we're up to. Yeah, man, yeah. we're glad to have you. Thanks, and man. that's how we roll at Renaissance. We have kids that just run around. Perfect. So it's cool. Yeah. Hey, um, so for those of you who may be, or for those here that don't, um, that don't know much about human trafficking, could you just explain the issue mm-hmm. and kind of how far-reaching, like yeah. how big of an issue is it? Yeah. So um, right now, there's about 30 to 40 million people enslaved around the world. And so there's actually more than there have ever been in the history of the world. Um, and, and many are, are right here in the U.S., believe it or not. And, and I'll talk a little bit about that. So about, about a quarter of those are actually children. And they're sold for things like forced labor, uh, for organ harvesting. Uh, we've seen cases and, and work on cases of, of child sacrifice, uh, as horrific as that is. Um, and then this is the only time I'm going to say this, but I just want to, um, I just want to convey the depravity of of the issue. Um, they're also sold for sexual exploitation, and and that's really the main focus of OUR. Um, it's a $150 billion a year in revenue industry, human trafficking is as a whole. And so mm-hmm. a little context there, that's, that's Starbucks, that's Dell, and that's all 32 NFL teams combined. That, that's how large this issue is. Um, we, um, the U.S. Is, is the highest demand for online child exploitative material out of any other country in the world. And it's growing as the highest destination for victims to actually be trafficked to hmm. uh, for, for exploitation. Um, you know, COVID is, is a mess, and maybe we'll kind of get into that a little bit later. But, um, but COVID is, 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 is affecting a lot of people, but it's really specifically affecting children in ways um, that, that we're concerned about. As, as an organization. Um, so, you know, as a whole, it's the fastest growing criminal enterprise in, in the history of the world. It, it surpassed the gun trade. It's projected to surpass the drug trade. And we get this question all the time. Why is it so prevalent? Why is it growing so quickly? And the reason is, is because you can uh, sell a bag of cocaine once. You can sell a child five to 10 times a day for, for years, however long they're in your captivity hmm. as, a, as a trafficker. Wow, man. So tell us a little bit about OUR and kind of what you guys do mm-hmm. with this issue. Yeah. So we have, uh, we have operators around the world, and uh, many of them are volunteer, actually, but we do have some that we sort of keep on as, as contractors on, on payroll, so to speak. And what these guys are doing is they're going to the darkest places of humanity. So they're going to orphanages and massage parlors that that aren't really what they seem on the surface and they're befriending these people so they're going undercover and befriending these people acting like they want to actually partake in in uh in the um commodity i have to be careful about the words that i use because we're we're in mixed company and what they're doing is they're gathering evidence uh it's very dangerous what they do because if they're if they're if their identity gets found out if if it gets understood who they are uh very easily and very quickly they could lose their life if we're thinking about the amount of money that is in this industry unfortunately billions of dollars 
uh, and, and the evil that, that we're seeing from the folks that partake in it, uh, it's, it's nothing just to, you know, um, in somebody's life who's trying to get in, in, in front of their revenue. And so it's very dangerous what these guys are doing. Um, but what they're doing is they're gathering evidence and they, they partner with local law enforcement. We do this internationally and we also do this uh, right here in the U.S., and the goal is to, to get to sort of an endpoint, right? A sting operation where we can actually catch those individuals in a transaction. We have local law enforcement that rushes in and they arrest the, the people involved, uh, including our operators actually, because we don't want their, their cover blown. And then we have another team that's dedicated on getting the children out and rescuing them and placing them in aftercare. So, so we say that rescue is only half the mission, and actually the operators will tell you that rescue is the easy part, believe it or not. Um, a lot of our resources, more than 50%, actually goes into aftercare. And so once we rescue a child and put them in a vetted aftercare facility, these are partners of ours as well, uh, we, we provide food, clothing, shelter, resources, vocational you know, uh, training and educational training, uh, those are my kids, and uh, counseling and, 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 and psychiatry services, whatever these kids are gonna need to get on their, on their healing journey, uh, and we stay with them through adulthood, and then in some cases even, uh, even beyond that. And, and I hope to actually uh, share some of those stories with you guys a little bit later on today at the, at the evening service. Yeah, at 5 p.m. Yeah, yeah, and just talk about um, like, you know, some survivors in aftercare. Um, we, this, is, this, is a, <laughs> this is the darkest corner of humanity, I mentioned that. Um, probably for my own sake, uh, sometimes we, we just have to focus on the hope and light that's in it as well, right? These kids that we've actually been able um, to rescue. So, so our, our main focus and mission as an organization is to rescue and rehabilitate. And so we focus on the rescue side. We focus on the aftercare side. Uh, we started, we were found, do, am I okay on time, Chris? Yeah, you're okay. Good, man. So we were founded by a man named Tim Ballard and Tim spent about 12 years in the Department of Homeland Security as a special operator. And his role there was to infiltrate these, these, these rings, these trafficking rings, and, and disband them. Um, one of his sub-roles was to actually consult with international agents and governments as well in order to train them on things that were working for us here in the U.S. But the issue was is that when he, during those trainings, he, it was actually relatively easy for him to find the kids. He'll tell you that he was on a beach for 20 minutes in Cartagena, Colombia, and he was already solicited children in, in 20 minutes. Um, however, because of U.S. jurisdictional laws, which are mostly good laws, uh, just not in this case, he, he wasn't able to actually garner resources to go after those kids. And he's doing these trainings with these, with these governments, and he can see that they're not, not equipped. They don't have the resources to do it. They don't have the experience to do it. And so over time, that became an unacceptable reality for him, that there were kids that were overseas that the U.S. did not have jurisdiction to go after, and nobody was going after them. There was no hope for these kids. And so he envisioned this public-private model where he could uh, uh, develop a non-governmental organization, an NGO, that's what we are, a nonprofit NGO, and that would not be constrained by jurisdictional issues. We could operate fluidly in other countries, act as support, act as, you know, send our operators over there, send forensic technology, send electronic device detection canines, mobile forensic labs. I'll get into some of those things later if you guys can join us. Uh, but these are all the different ways that we're empowering law enforcement. So that was seven years ago we were founded. Uh, we started in two countries, Haiti and Colombia. Now we're operating in 26 countries around the world. Uh, we work in 28 states here in the U.S. Wow. And we've rescued over 4,100 survivors 
survivors. We've arrested over 2,300 traffickers and predators, uh, which is an important statistic because the, the average individual who's doing that uh, is going to harm between 100 and 200 kids in their lifetime. Wow. And so that for us is, is a really important uh, metric is the wrong word, a really important goal for us to, to, to really um, put people behind bars so that they can't harm, harm children anymore. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're in charge of over 6,000 survivors in, in aftercare around the world. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing. So tell us just briefly, how did you kind of get connected to this? Yeah. So, uh, happenstance, like I, I can almost take no credit for it and I shouldn't take any credit for it. I was, I'm not this person who's dedicated decades of his life to, to combat this issue. Although there are many in the space who can say that and they're my heroes. Um, I, two years ago, I, I was bored one night and I stumbled across a documentary on Amazon prime operation Tucson. It's about OUR. It's about Tim Ballard, our founder. Um, and you know, two years ago, looking back now in hindsight, it just totally changed the trajectory of my life. I mean, Mm -hmm. I made all my friends watch that documentary. I made my, my wife watch it. She can, uh, testify to that. And, um, and yeah, I just, you know, I don't know. I tell people my hands were on fire because I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know, okay, how can I, how can I do something? I'm not military trained. I don't have law enforcement background. Uh, so, you know, what can I do to, to help this cause? Um, in fact, my wife and I, when we started, we started in our neighborhood in, in San Marcos, Texas, and we just did hot chocolate and lemonade stands because we're like, we just, we have to talk with somebody about this. You know, uh, there's still remnants of that. We have some, some cupcakes for you guys, uh, that would, that would go towards the cause. Uh, we love to get our kids participating with this however we can. So, um, but yeah, so that, that's, that's how I started. And, um, January 1st of this year, if I could, if I could just tell this as briefly as possible, but. Um, I was sitting on my couch and I just, I just heard that, you know, calm voice inside, you know, just felt like the Holy Spirit was talking to me and said, go look at OUR's LinkedIn page. Now, listen, I, I probably get five requests a month, at least randomly from people on social media saying that they want to work for our organization. Uh, it just doesn't happen. Like it's, it's unfair favor. That's what I call it, that, that I got to participate in, and be a part of this organization. So, uh, yeah, they got back to me pretty quickly and, and, uh, we sold our house the same week. I got the official job offer, wow. uh, left a 10 year career in healthcare administration and healthcare software. Um, and we just, we just dove in, uh, like I said, we're, we're on the road. I mean, we don't have roots anywhere. We're just, you know, wherever, wherever God wants to take us next is, is where we want to be. So. Wow, man, that's awesome. So tell us, what would a kingdom response look like to to this? Man, you know, I kind of have... I think about this a lot, obviously, and and have opportunities to to share a message. But um, I do want to say, man, like this, you know, you kind of caught me on my back feet a little bit today in this message. I mean, that was powerful, man. Hmm. Just talking about how Jesus was... A cornerstone for this issue. Did y'all hear that? That was a powerful message. Did y'all feel that too? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Woo. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. No, just kidding. Yeah. So, uh, no, that was, uh, that was amazing to think about it in that perspective. Obviously, you know, seeing the things and hearing the stories that we, we encounter on a daily basis, uh, yeah. just to be reminded hmm. that Jesus is in the midst of this and he yeah. cares about it. He cares about it profoundly, mm. yeah. more than we can imagine. You yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, you know, usually, um, I just try to encourage people to think about 
what, what is your skill set? What is your network? What is your influence? Because I think that any one person probably knows how they could help an issue more than maybe I could tell them, right? I don't, I don't know your, your background and, and your history, but um, certainly some starting points. Uh, so we have some resources on our website, OURrescue.org. Uh, there's a tab there that says Get Trained. And basically that walks you, our leadership team is going to walk you through a, a fairly um, short course. I think it's at most a couple hours. Maybe you can get through it in 45 minutes or so. But it's really going to cover knowing the signs of trafficking. Um, oh, and th that reminds me, I wanted to mention one point that uh, I was just, I, I stumbled across this. Um, actually, my, my mother-in-law randomly brought it up. She didn't know where I was speaking today, and we were in a conversation with her yesterday. And she said, hey, did you see that they, that they ran that operation uh, in Richmond? And I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Last month, um, this is just a, I, I don't want to like alarm you, but I, I just, I, this is, I'm so desensitized, unfortunately, to talking about these things um, over and over again. But uh, but I, I do want to inform you and just sort of bring reality into it. So in the Stafford, Missouri City, Richmond, Tri-City area, in October this year, they arrested 46 people who uh, were exploiting children, and they rescued five children. This was local law enforcement here. So there, mm. there's good news and bad news there. The good news is, is that you guys are in an area where law enforcement has the bandwidth and resources to combat this issue, which, which I'm, I'm, I was so grateful to hear that, that there's 46 people who are now facing charges uh, that were involved in that. Um, but the bad news is, is that this is every community that, that we work in and, and see. I mean, it's all, especially along the I-10 corridor, really any two major intersecting highways in the U.S. And so um, I just tell you that as just, you know, again, not to, to um, convey fear or anything, but just like this is, this is reality. There are children who are enslaved right now in this country. And we love to say in the U.S. that we eradicated slavery. And perhaps that's true in policy. Um, but it, but it is still very prevalent um, in, in our own in our own communities. So um, sorry, I got sidetracked there. So so but get trained. Uh, you know the signs of trafficking, what to look for, what to watch for. Maybe you'll ha you know you can identify something in your area, and, I, and and then when you do identify something, what do you do about it? Do you intervene? Do you uh, you don't intervene? You actually uh, call local law enforcement and and let them know of the situation. Um, but things like that, you'll you'll really uh, gain gain knowledge on that. And then secondly. Um, you know, supporting the cause. There, there's plenty of opportunities to, to get involved on the aftercare side, to get involved on the operations side, to help us expand our resources so that we can equip and empower aftercare centers and law enforcement centers. Uh, and then the final one, uh, which I don't care who you ask, is, is absolutely the most important to me, is prayer, because this is not a battle of, of flesh and blood. I mean, there's true hmm. evil at work here, true evil at work. Uh, there's addiction at work. There's, there's, um, there's just the most horrific, unfathomable things that you could imagine at, at work. And, uh, and prayer is a powerful weapon against that evil. We have, uh, as an organization, we have a prayer text chain. And when we're running operations or when we have um, issues in operations that perhaps we didn't anticipate, we send out those texts to the to our prayer group, and and we ask them to, uh, you know, to lift our operators up or, or lift our survivors up if, if they need something amidst COVID or, or what have you. 
Um, so uh, that's another thing that you, there's a, uh, an opportunity to join that. The, um, the text code is on our website and, and you can find that as well. So those are just sort of three, you know, like initial kind of ways to uh, just, just educate yourself and, and understand what's happening and then hopefully, you know, get empowered and, and, uh, and make a difference. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great, man. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to share about how specifically Renaissance Church can be involved in that, or does that kind of encompass all the stuff that you just that you just shared? Yeah, and I, I think um, I don't know. I might I might put this back on you a little bit. I yeah. think you have a little bit of vision for maybe mm-hmm. how we can we can partner together, yeah. and, and and we're all for that. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, maybe maybe um, I think I think so. Chris and I have kind of been chatting a little bit over the last uh, couple of months. I think right, mm-hmm. and just just different ways maybe to specifically. Um, you know, partner with Renaissance and, and there's opportunity to, you know, deploy resources uh, domestically, you know, versus internationally. So those are just a couple ways that we can continue to be in conversation about. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a swag table at the back as well. Um, 100% of everything. Uh, there's some things you can grab, some bracelets. Please do that. Pen, stickers, anything we can do to help raise awareness. There's also some hats and shirts and cupcakes that we're selling, and that's 100% of that will go in Renaissance Church's name uh, to OUR, uh, to, you know, to help us on our mission. Uh, and then, yeah, I think I think there's some ways that we can, you know, just kind of continue to 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 be in partnership yeah. and be in collaboration and, and talk about what some of the needs are, uh, yeah. you know, here locally. I'm meeting with a local aftercare facility here on, on Tuesday, actually. Uh, one that we're not currently partnered with, and and part of my role is is establishing some of those initial connections, and I, I hope that we can we can partner with them and maybe start providing some uh, some funding and aftercare resources that are, that are needed desperately here uh, in Houston. So yeah, no, that's great, man. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, hey, let's thank Gary for sharing with us today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.